Sweet Jesus, it's episode 17 of Guaranteed Audio. I am Kevin James, joined by... Ryan Murphy. And... Neil Cicerega. Via satellite, it's a special day for Guaranteed Audio. We finally have a real podcast mixer with multiple channels and everything. No more of that two-channel H5 nonsense. We have a real eight-channel thing that took nearly two hours to get running despite my best efforts to test it yesterday. How's everything going in Somerville, Neil? Uh, it's all right. Uh, the weather is a lot warmer now. Um, people are out, you know, linking arms and kissing on the streets. It's really great. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Ryan? No, not really. Everyone's being pretty good up here. <laughs> yeah. Down mm-hmm. in Sandwich, there continue to be surprisingly again more people than there usually are during a non a non COVID, shall we say, May into June. Hmm. I've been in more King- people. Oh yeah. You think people hmm. just the la- it's like a king toes like they were like waiting to get outside and not only is it the weather which again this is much easier to be outside when it's nicer out mm-hmm. but a whole lot of people who are wealthy enough to have a second home got out while the getting is good they packed up their their kids and their wives and the cans of beans and said we're not <laughs> going back till it's safe and I don't think that's going to be anytime soon the cans of beans. <laughs> Well, if you've never listened to our show before, I don't know how you stumbled upon it this time. Uh, this is Guaranteed Audio, which you can listen to on iTunes, Google Play, and RSS. GuaranteedAudio.com is where you'll find it. This is the first time we've done an episode where we're going to try and not edit it in post, uh, because now we have sound buttons, which means instead of having to edit this in Premiere later, I can hit this button to start. Media Current. Media Current is one of the few things we do every episode, and it's where the three of us go into some sort of entertainment we've been consuming lately. Uh, Ryan, do you want to start? Sure. I've been dabbling, going back and forth, seasons two, three, four, and five of The Sopranos. Hmm. I love The Sopranos. Been a fan since I used to sneak my mom and dad's VHS tapes and watch them while my dad was teaching summer school and have to rewind the tapes to like before he got back to make it look like I hadn't seen it. (laughs) That's a very specific moment in time, by the way, when The Sopranos was on TV, but you didn't have a DVD player. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When seasons one and two came out on VHS, it was right at the transition from VHS to DVD. Uh, There's actually a scene in the first season where Christopher Maltesante's character gives a DVD player to... He explains what DVDs are to Tony, James Gandolfini, the main character. Uh, And instead of being, it's a DVD player, it's all digital, you'll love it. Instead of going, thank you for this stolen property, he just... You mean I gotta buy all my movies again? Which is a very (laughs) dad sentiment. He's a criminal, and again, he could say... But that's just who Tony is. Uh, he could say thank you for this free thing. It's just I have to buy the movies again. It's- I'd love to. You know those um those uh videotapes that are produced for like the owners of video stores to like get you to buy three copies yeah. of a movie. Yes, like F- Freddy Krueger in character. I'd love one with Tony Soprano, just like. <laughs> at- <laughs> the end of the video rental era, being like, hey, you know, it's flying off the shelves. It's the hot new show and you know people can't watch it on hbo they're gonna want to come to your store and they pick up. definitely use the actor who portrayed paulie paulie <laughs> the one with the white sides of his hair he's the yeah. most cartoonish not stevie van zandt no yeah. <laughs> although he's great he's really good yeah. get, uh, it, it's interesting from the beginning of the sopranos feels like cinemax porn and by the end of it it's like Mad Men because a bunch of the people who made sopranos went on to make Mad Men, and that transition of that time is fascinating uh, the the dawn of 
you know, the prestige premium before Breaking Bads and Mad Men and so many of these shows that we now just take advantage of, we get to take advantage of. Uh, it was just fascinating to see when this was the biggest, most popular and critically, critically acclaimed show in the world. Hmm. How about you, Neil? You've been watching The Sopranos? No, I've actually never seen The Sopranos. <laughs> um, I'm not really a mobster guy for whatever reason, uh, usually. Uh, I actually no, I haven't really watched much lately. I, I've been uh, I kind of got back into coding uh, my game that I've been working on for many years. Uh, doesn't mean it'll ever come out, but I find it's a nice kind of Zen thing to do is, you know, fix up my old code and stuff. Uh, the you only should, TV you show make the game in dreams. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I need to pick that up. Um, uh, yeah, the only show I've been watching has been uh, What We Do in the Shadows, season two. Great show. Huh. Have you watched it, Ryan? I saw the movie. I've not watched the show yet. I, I, I'm a fan. I like the movie a lot. Oh, I kind of like the show more than the movie. All right. That's a good picture. Yeah. Is it like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer situation? <laughs> well, no. I mean, the movie is, a, I think, a modern classic. The movie is really good. Buffy, I agree. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. You know, I'm with you on that. I kind of like the movie Buffy and the show equally. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's hard for me to say, but I really like the, the lead actors on the show. Yeah. One of whom is uh, Mark Proch, who uh, you might know from uh, duping a bunch of morning shows by pretending he was a yo-yo expert a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here, set the scene, please, Neil. Pretending I, I, he's a yo-yo expert. So he would he would just claim to be a yo-yo expert and he'd get on multiple morning talk shows and they'd get him out there and he would just <laughs> kind of like fumble and drop multiple yo-yos and stuff would they like vet him like do you think he like deep, no do, do you think they like he like deep faked his face onto a real yo-yo expert and then sent them the video like here i am in my backyard today <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's this guy. Hang on. I want to make sure I'm not like misattributing. You'd think that producers of shows would talk to each other like, don't, don't let him on. He's yeah. Listen, this guy's going to come to you, the yo-yo guy, (laughs) but he ain't a yo-yo guy. (laughs) No, he'd go on as, as K Strass. That was his name. (laughs) Um, But no, it's been such a, it's been really fun to to like, just go from that to seeing this guy show up on uh, uh, um, some, um, on cinema, he's a character on um, the Tim Heidecker show, and yeah. um, uh, Better Call Saul as the uh, the card collector from like the first yeah season. yeah. Um, so it's been fun seeing him go from like the most alternative of roles to uh, playing a, um, a an energy vampire <laughs> and a really well cast role, and uh, just like yeah, they're all really good. I I really highly recommend it. I gotta check that show out. Mm. Maybe it's a good one for me to marathon because. Uh... Yeah, I haven't been watching a lot of TV either. Uh, I've watched a few movies, uh, namely Congo, which we're going to talk about <laughs> soon, which is kind yeah. of the uh, uh, the soup du jour, <laughs> the, uh, the talk of the town for this episode. Um, but uh, for expediency's sake, I'll make my media current some music that's been stuck in my head. Um, I'd like to recommend two songs people check out. One is a new single from this band I'm into called At 1980. The band's name is At 1980. Uh, and the song is called Missing You. And right out of the gate, the song just hits, and it sounds like a flock of seagulls song in a good way. It's awesome. It's cool. it's, a, it's a real good earworm. Um, if I was a smarter man, I would have made it so I could cue it up and play it during this podcast for ten seconds. But yeah, "Missing You" by At 1980, great song. If you're uh, 
you know, you're just going out for a jog. You're trying to maybe go for even a drive to get away from your home during all of this. Great song to drive to. Uh, and the second song, another uh, synthwave song by a band called All the Damn Vampires, <laughs> which is, uh, I believe, the last line from Lost Boys. But yeah, the band is. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The band is called All the Damn Vampires, and the song is called Saturday. It's a great song. Uh, if I had to compare it to anything, it would be like a Belinda Carlisle single from the mid to late mm-hmm. 80s. Uh, cool video. Uh, I love the song. Uh, but yeah, both of those songs are great. Missing You by At 1980 and Saturday by All the Damn Vampires. Uh, put those on, and I guarantee you'll enjoy listening to them. So, on that note, I have no segue into discussing Congo. <laughs> so I guess we'll take a quick fake break. It's not a real break. We're pretending to take a pee break, but we're going to roll right into it because we can play our Segway music on the mixer. It'll be real great. Congo from 1995. Ryan's been wanting to talk about this for over a year. Why? Well, yeah, why? <laughs> I'm going to open with a preface. We were prefacing now. I mm-hmm. am going to say some negative things about the film Congo. No. I'm going to be critical of the film. I'm going to have criticisms of the film Congo, but I think it's important to preface that this film, whole, I have a soft spot in my heart for this movie. It is a part of my childhood. It's a part of growing up, and I it would have most certainly been better as a memory than something to revisit. <laughs> But it is a hot mess, but I this is not just going to be shitting on the film Congo. There are fun, fun things about this movie in a way that shouldn't really never get remade, but it is in so many ways a fun disaster. Let's set the scene. It was 1995. We were all, what, eight years old? Right? Nine, close enough. Yeah. We all had become men that year. <laughs> Jumanji... 12 Monkeys, Toy Story, Seven, Clueless, and of course, Money Train. They were all just out all, with the- <laughs> All movies that we were watching. All movies that we were watching. Uh, Tank Girl, Mortal Kombat. I think the Power Rangers movie came out that year, which is very important to us. Yep, Summer 95. I saw yep. bits and pieces of this on cable as a kid, and it was always the ending. It was always the last 10 minutes. <laughs> it was never any other part of this goddamn movie. And the last 10 minutes of this movie, it really hangs its hat on. Like, it's, Oh, yeah. They re- <laughs> It'd be like if you watched Jurassic Park and the T-Rex was the only dinosaur you fucking saw, and it was in the last 10 minutes of a two-hour movie. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. The movie is bookended. Okay, so for the, the uninitiated, uh, Neil, what is Congo? It's a Michael Crichton novel. Have any of us read it? No, I own the novel, but I have I've started three, four times, and it's no. The answer is no. Nineteen eighty. They actually made I, me read it in school. Oh wow! I'm making. I'm really? lying. No, no. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> sometimes I mean they sometimes it's that that sounds like the equivalent of when they put on a movie in school. You know. All right, it's I will not really say education. This is not a compare and contrast of Congo the creature feature from 1993's Jurassic Park. But it is irrefutable that Congo would not have been greenlit by a studio unless Michael Crichton's name also delivered a dump truck full of money. (laughs) This movie uh, was marketed like, like The Relic. 
But unlike The Relic, another product, a relic, if you will, of the 90s, there were action figures with this movie. There was such a huge ad campaign to hype this as uh, an R-rated movie that your parents will see. You, You don't make toys for a movie that you don't want children to see. Yeah. The movie and, had been shelved for like three decades, right? Yeah, it had been in production no, hell two, for no, a while. No, no, a decade and a half. I'm sorry. Yeah, written in 1980. And I, I know. Yeah, I, they, I think they sold the movie rights before the book came out or something like that. Yeah, and it was clearly, clearly rushed into production hot off the heels of Jurassic Park. Exactly. Right? Like, it's, it, same, it's Kathleen Kennedy, and the director is, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, <laughs> you can do <laughs> He's this. the guy who like produced and like. Frank Marshall. Frank Marshall, thank you. Yeah, he he did Raiders. Um, so it's basically it's Spielberg's friends. Arachnophobia. <laughs> arachnophobia he directed as well. And uh, what, yeah, I'm not touching what, that what, shit again. No. <laughs> arachnophobia is better than this. <laughs> What's the other movie he directed? There was like three in the 90s. I don't know. Like I, He worked on Alive, but I don't remember if he directed it. He did, yeah. He directed Alive, which is okay. Um, but uh, And uh, Stan Winston also... Did the effects for? Did he do uh, dinosaurs, or am I misremembering? Stan Winston did everything. <laughs> he did Terminator. He did everything. Yeah, but was he on the team for Jurassic Park? Yeah, right. Okay, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Stan Winston is definitely a pause. I was building up to a positive takeaway here, but yeah, that man, that man did his job here. Uh, this is the little movie that could, and it had Jurassic Park ambitions, draped in a, a B movie. movie. This is, we open with Bruce Campbell and another actor in the jungle looking for diamonds. <laughs> no, they're in the Congo. They're in the Congo. Is, the, is, is Congo a proper noun or an improper noun? Like, can you have a Congo anywhere or is Congo specifically? No, the Congo is that part. Yeah, the, the former nation of Zaire is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. There is a nation a region of the world gotcha. called the Congo. Okay, because I watched the movie and I didn't really understand what was going. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was too young to understand, you know, the, the the contemporary politics of Central Africa when this came out. This movie and does I not was, know them either. But <laughs> okay, that's good to know. So the movie, the movie cost fifty million dollars to make in nineteen ninety five, and it grossed one hundred fifty two. I think that's domestic. Um, I don't think Jurassic Park cost much more <laughs> I, I think jurassic let's see jurassic park cost 63 million okay so that's only like like a fifth more 20 <laughs> percent, something like that more um okay bro- broad strokes i know you want to get into the plot of it ryan the broad strokes are it's a rescue mission to the congo joe don baker runs a <laughs> telecommunication it mega it, he's a robocop villain smashing TV monitors with his golf clubs, screaming, I want my diamonds. <laughs> By the way, I, I wish we had more sound effects buttons on our mixer because I was going to put a diamond sound effect in this episode because diamonds get referenced so frequently. I, I get, we go from, yeah, poor Br- Bruce Campbell holding a, an eyeball covered in blood, screaming into the camera, Evil Dead style. We know exactly what we're getting into. Yeah. Cutting to Joe Don Baker saying, you know, these diamonds are gonna, with enough diamonds, I can revolutionize the communications industry. Like, what on earth are you talking about? Yeah, so for so, some reason, Bruce Campbell's in the middle of the Congo to find some diamonds. He gets killed by some ape that you barely get a good look at. And that's the opening five minutes of this movie. Uh, and yeah, the movie becomes a rescue mission. And the 
the, the first half of the movie is slowly assembling this cast of characters that are getting they're they're all basically cartoons. There's there's, there's yeah. three motivation. It's too convoluted as to why these people are going to Africa. Laura Linney played Laura Linney deserves so much better than this movie. <laughs> she deli- she is an ex CIA agent who now works for a telecommunications giant getting diamonds in the jungle for their super satellites. And she is going undercover under the guise of a, a humanitarian mission to return a gorilla to the Congo. That's a great. You just nailed the elevator pitch, which we've been struggling for ten minutes to get out of yes. our mouths. That's that's it. That's it. Uh, Dylan. But Wal- there's a lot of cross purposes going on here. And the third, again, this is there's already two, and there should really be one. The third is the the convoluted Romanian. Uh, <clears throat> the convoluted Romanian philanthropist who is secretly looking for the lost city of Zinj in King Solomon's Minds, played by the true takeaway, the, the real runaway star here, Tim Curry. Tim Curry plays Herkimer Homolka. <laughs> yes. Herkimer is a type of diamond. That's the I level didn't of know writing. That. So, That's the level of writing we got here. <laughs> so basically, the, all these characters get together. They they have like a, like a shepherd, like someone that... Um, the the satellite communications company pays a guide. He's like the best guide in the world. He's like the 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 Indiana Jones for hire type. Yeah, uh, and his name is Captain Monroe Kelly, played by Ernie Hudson. And we God, should he's make, great. Now he's so before good. we get into Ernie Hudson, okay, uh, we we talked about Laura Linney. We talked about Tim Curry. The other major player here is Dylan Walsh, who plays Peter Elliot, the most like protagonist man ass name I've ever heard. Peter Elliot as uh, like an expert in sign language for animals. He taught an ape to speak through sign language using this uh, a power glove like device. Yeah. It's like this little, it's like this, uh, the sensor glove that he puts on a gorilla. And as she signs, it says what she's trying to sign through a speaker. Correct. He calls it virtual reality, which it's not, but they <laughs> had to correct. mention virtual reality. They had to the like movie. quickly explain what the hell was going on. Right. So there's this, so th- th- joining these human beings is Amy the gorilla who looks terrible. She is so bad. I'm so and surprised how bad it looks for 1995 I mean, animatronics. Like th- it's so there's a lot of animatronics in this movie. During my research, I did do research during my research for this recording. I was reminded because I I'd, not confused, but confused and what's it called when i mix two thoughts conflate conflate i'd conflated the 1998 disney mighty joe young yeah with uh i believe charlie Theron and bill paxton yeah and that the whole oomph of the movie about the creature feature about a gorilla the, it's mighty joe young you know the follow-up to king kong i looked up the 1949 mighty joe young it looks better than this movie. I'm so so. This movie again, fifty million dollars. Uh, th- there was some, I wouldn't know if you. I don't know if you call it stunt casting, but Ernie Hudson. Uh, no, I guess Laura Linney was the biggest name in the movie, right? For I'd say yeah. maybe Ernie because Ernie had done Hand Rocks, the Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and like Crow, and obviously Ghostbusters one and two. Um, he was like a big character actor at that point. Yeah. So the movie becomes like you know they hire Monroe the guide. Using the money from the the uh, satellite communications company, right? And the satellite company is sending Laura Linney to the Congo 
to rescue Bruce Campbell because they don't know if he's dead or not. Correct. But they're really sending Laura Linney to go get diamonds. Get my diamonds. Get your what? Diamonds. <laughs> Thank you. We had to use the reverb function once. <laughs> yeah. Dylan Walsh's character is a poor man's uh, Jeff Bridges from the 1970s King Kong. He's totally like hmm. the big curly hair, hippy dippy, like, you know, everyone's kind of a criminal. Like, I'm not a criminal. I'm a good guy. Like, shut up. <laughs> I think the writers here knew. I think that the filmmakers realized during production, Ernie Hudson's just so much fucking cooler than this guy. Because I, I, I feel like when we talk about Ernie Hudson, it's going to be like this watershed thing. So I'm we're like, I'm like, I'm 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 chomping at the bit to talk about him in this movie because I love him so Let's much. Let's talk about Dylan Walsh. So, <laughs> so, 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 but basically, Dylan, so the satellite company hires Dylan Walsh, the guy who's teaching apes sign language through virtual reality power gloves. That's that's the movie we're working with here. They hire him because they they claim they're being philanthropic. They're just throwing some money at him like, oh, we just want to bring Amy the gorilla back into the Congo and release her there. Well, initially, it's it's so convoluted. Tim Curry's ridiculous. Well, main the uncounted. That comes later. That comes later. No, that comes first. No, they they pick up Laura Linney meets Dylan Walsh and at at like an airport or something. (laughs) It no, no, like but they do, they do show him. He's in the um, audience. Oh, he's there. Uh, he's there, but he doesn't like... He doesn't... Tim Curry's willing to finance the project as a philanthropist to bring the gorilla to the jungle. Yeah. They get to the airplane, and Tim Curry turns out his fucking broke. Okay, you're right. Okay, I'm so sorry. Okay. Laura yeah. Linney says, like, Laura Linney says, I want to piggyback on your mission, and he goes, no. And then he's like, <laughs> I have, uh, it's $56,000 for fuel, and she's like, oh, looks like you need me. Okay, you got, okay, yeah, so sorry. So that's why this whole team's there, but there's a bunch of ulterior motives. Dylan Walsh thinks this whole expedition is to release Amy back into the Congo. And we, it's, it's, you know, we, we've already discussed the satellite company wants to go there to get diamonds, to make more powerful satellites. And, I, I, by the way, like a side effect of making these diamond powered satellites, you get lasers that can cut through anything like a lightsaber. Yes. Like a gun that shoots a lightsaber, like a <laughs> like a ray straight forward and will cut through anything, whatever you aim it at. Based it's on- something that um, Bruce Campbell demonstrates at the beginning of the movie, and it's not mentioned again for a long time. It's such an obvious like, I'm just going to set this down over here kind of. It's a Chekhov's point. gun, but it's a hundred minutes apart. Not even Chekhov's gun. It's just. Chekhov's laser. Chekhov's laser. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we're off to the races. Ernie Hudson has been hired as the guide. Uh, and they're going to go to the Congo, but they have to get through the dangers of Africa. And that eats up about 40, 50 minutes of the movie. Um, should we just stop there with explaining the plot? or do, I mean, how, do we want to keep going with that? Because I think at this point it's more important. Instead of like trudging through this plot the way this movie trudges through problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah to get to what matters, uh, the creature feature. Uh, Let's talk about things that work and things that don't work. So the creature feature aspect of this movie, which it was sold on, was like, oh, are apes kind of scary? Because even the posters, like the the, the ape's eye, I think it's Amy's eye. Where you are the endangered species. Oh, that's the tagline? That's the tagline. Man, because I was, so we've talked about this before. We did a review of Ernest Goes to Africa, and Neil brought up, there was a Africa fever (laughs) Uh, in a pop culture term, was really big in the mid '90s. This this movie came out a couple months before Ace Ventura Pet uh, Ace Ventura Two: When Nature Calls, where he went to Africa. Um, the Lion's yeah, Post, uh, yeah, Lion King had come out. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's a bunch of lesser known ones. Trip I, I feel like tie, you can trace yeah. it back to the Gods Must Be Crazy, which were 
not big movies, but they were like sleeper hits. What's that Richard Dreyfus mid nineties movie where he pretends that he went to Africa? Is that Kippendorf's tri- tribe? Something like that. I-, I thought it was Trippendorf's tribe. I can't remember <laughs> the name of it. Uh, I-, I can't remember it, but yeah, there was a lot of this, th- that at the time. Um, and I don't know. Was this the biggest budget attempt at one of those movies? Again, this is this is a B movie trying to like walk in the footsteps of Jurassic Park. It shouldn't be a B movie though, like because it has the. It's not a B movie. I, I think it's a uh, f- uh, big budget Hollywood movie trying to capture B movie charm and doing it really inconsistent. Inconsistent. I agree. That's I why agree. you get like. That's why Bruce Campbell is in this movie, but not in a significant way. That's why Tim Curry is in this movie. He was actually going to be uh, Dylan Walsh's character. Why? And uh, instead, they, they they cast a much more boring guy. Why did they change? That, why did, do you have any idea why they changed him? Was it because Army of Darkness bombed or something? Like it was probably just that he was too charismatic. I don't know. <laughs> but okay, so we'll get to we'll get back to that Bruce Campbell casting decision later. Okay, so Ryan, you were saying creature feature. Um, you only get evil gorillas at the end. And they are scary looking, right? Stan Winston did a way better job. with. I mean, these gorillas are the action figures we're going to sell. These are the thing of the movie that Joe Don Baker's character says, no, gorillas don't do that. They're gentle. And we spent a lot of time with Dr. Milkwater saying like, yeah, enough of them at the midst of uh, uh, the killer gorilla, the King Kong. It's not real. And. Then later, when they're talking to an African warlord saying, my people are more scared of being seen being cruel to a gorilla by an, in an American movie than a lot of other dangerous things these days. Like, everyone knows that gorillas aren't dangerous. Gorillas are okay. It's time to get rid of this. I don't know. They have, they have the, pitting up this straw man argument that gorillas have such a bad rap. Yeah, they treat them like great white sharks. Like, you know, great white sharks aren't actually that dangerous. Like, that's actually something that is a real problem in the world. But, like, the idea of, like, there's killer apes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, that's interesting that this movie tries to have it both ways you yes know? it's like it really does and it it, it it starts an argument no one was happy yeah i know it's like maybe the movie congo already came out in the universe of this movie <laughs> and this and is really a, damaged the reputation yeah. of gorillas this is a this could be its own podcast but there is a lot to be said rewatching this film in the year 2020 multiple characters and multiple scenes put a lot of effort this film spends time demystifying the violence and frighteningness of apes in, on film. They spend more time making the audience sympathetic to gorillas than to humans in Africa. They 100%, make Africa yeah. look the second you get off the plane, shit blows up. <laughs> now, there's right. other creatures in this movie. There, so there are there's Amy, who's like the benevolent sign language gorilla who is done through a mix of animatronics and a person in a suit. There's uh, these creepy evil apes at the end, these white apes with like blue skin and white hair, mangled teeth and claws. And yeah. Like, yeah. They look again. They're, they're the best part of the movie. Yeah. They look like they're like a crossbreed between like a gorilla and like the Crypt Keeper. Um, <laughs> they're scary looking. I'll give them that. Right. I think those were effective. Right. Those I think those stick out. Those are definitely the, the standout. It's the standout set piece of the movie for a reason. Um, but they're in the movie very briefly. Um, and there's these hippos. At one point, the hippo scene is this movie's equivalent of "Don't go into the long grass." This yeah. is like a. By the way, this is a really Lost World's creature feature about a T Rex. But don't forget, raptors are fucking awesome. That they go like, 
Stan Winston put a lot of effort into this brief but well done scene of being attacked by hippos. The hippos look good, yeah. Yeah, in yeah the, the hippos river. look very, very real, yeah. Uh, and this is a myth, because uh, it's not a myth. It's just facts. Hippos are horrible pieces of shit. Hippos eat their own babies when they're not even hungry. They're not even starving. Yeah. Hippos are monstrous creatures. Hmm. And if they, I want them all dead. I want Whoa. them all dead. I don't care if they go extinct. It'll be a holiday. This is why Ryan wanted to talk about Kong. <laughs> I don't like uh, hippos. This has to enter the public conscience. A lot of no, people. This, this scene was funny them. to me, though, because I know, yeah, I know intellectually, yeah. Hippos are very, are very dangerous. Getting attacked by a hippo, you know, it's, you're not, not likely to survive. And the hippo is effectively done, and the scene is shot pretty well. But the whole time, I was just like, ah, hippos. They're funny looking. <laughs> Man, yeah. those are some they look hungry like Barney, hippos. <laughs> yeah. So that, is that it for the creatures? Am I forgetting anything else major? There's probably other, like... There's like a smallish snake at one point. Oh, yeah. There's a snake. <laughs> there's that really... <laughs> yeah, there's that scene where... Uh, what's his name? Uh, stabs the snake. He like cut, He kills a snake. That's... Uh, oh, what's his name? I forget the name of the character. It's like some like henchman-esque guy helping out Ernie Hudson. And a snake kind of creeps up on him. But it's like a small snake. It's like a garter snake. <laughs> and uh, he looks over and the snake... <laughs> hisses at him and it's clearly an ADR to hiss it just doesn't sound it sounds like a cartoon snake yeah and he cuts the thing in half there's some really silly ADR in this movie some really silly sound editing did you, did you guys catch when uh Dylan Walsh Peter uh Peter Elliot the the scientist has to burn the leech off his penis do you guys remember that do you remember that moment oh yeah, yeah. he uses a like a, a small cigar yeah but did you hear the leech like scream in pain I just heard yeah. a little sizzle effect, but yeah. If you listen, if you listen closely, you hear like a. <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> For listeners at home, you don't like see a leech on his penis or anything. It's just like, oh, there's a leech on my, you know, and yeah, you know, it's all off camera. Yeah, it's, a, it's played for laughs. Yeah, so like a lot of this movie is spent just getting from point a to point b which is getting to the congo and it takes like an hour of the movie, right, Ryan? Yeah, if you were to like sit there with a timer, clock in, clock out. The vast majority of threats they face are man-made. Yeah. The airport's dangerous. Africa is a death trap. Everyone wants to murder you. Africa isn't man-made. Well, no. (laughs) The people, the soldiers, the flare gun shooting. All right. I can. There's 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 moments in this movie like Stan Winston effects, like helicopter shots that feel like an Indiana Jones movie, like an adventure movie, yeah, like big sweeping hell, you know, vistas, uh, filming on location. You can see where the money went, and, and then you see Dylan Walsh sitting on this majestic, you know, overlooking like the the, the mist clearing out over this uh, jungle in between the mountains, next to this fucking little girl in a gorilla suit, and you go like. Cut, guys! It's kind of fucking awful when I'm done. Like honestly, fifty million dollars. It's gonna look terrible. Like, no, no, no! Go back, go back. It looks good. I'm so surprised. Like, so Amy, not to dwell too much on Amy, but man, like her, her mouth doesn't move really. You know, you know, like there's like a certain there's a lack of articulation when she's eating. It it just looks like it's 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 like it should be like a background gorilla. Oh, from what I read in the IMDb trivia, Stan Winston was proud of the Amy. Uh, head i guess because it was the first time they were able to do a character like that that only required one head for all the mouth shapes that they wanted to do i think um aside from like one shot where its mouth is open wide and screaming yeah um 
So normally they would have to build multiple heads, one for eating, one for, you know, smiling. Yeah. Uh, but it but shows. so I think this, yeah, this was an early attempt to do it all with one, you know, animatronic. And uh, ambitious, yeah. noble as an ambitious effort is. This is a Michael Crichton creature feature right off Jurassic Park. 1995. That's, that's the love. That is the the bar, and they just whacked into it with their nuts. And they she's, did a. <laughs> she's all over the movie too. It's not like she's in like one scene. Like she's like, in a weird way. I don't know if it was like in the script and on set, and they just changed it in editing, uh, for reasons that you alluded to earlier, Ryan. It seemed like Amy was supposed to be the heart of this movie. Oh yeah. And then in post, I think they looked at like. Ernie Hudson and Tim Curry, and we're like, oh, wait a minute, this is what this is the good stuff, right? Because um, we're, we, we, I mean, we're, tr- I know Ryan really wanted to like talk about the positives of the movie, but I guess, I mean, the creature feature stuff is fun. The music's hit and miss, right? Like, like some of the, oh, Neil, what's the instrument that everyone uses to illustrate we're in Africa? It's like a pipe flute or something. Uh, <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, it's yeah. The music is by Jerry Goldsmith. Um, and it's, yeah, it's your typical nineties, like fake African cinematic music. And I wouldn't even consider it to be insulting or pandering. It's honestly trying for, and I'm looking at this from the lens of 30, almost 30 years later of this is also, we're off the heels of Jurassic Park, but it's also right off the heels of the Lion King. You see the giraffes on the Serengeti with those wide open shots where, by the way, this film does not take place in the Serengeti. It's in the Congo. <laughs> uh, because it's not the same place, but it's... Uh, they're, they're trying. There's there's moments here where the music really works, and it's funny. Rewatching this movie, yeah. I'd also conflated, in my mind, the soundtrack for another hot mess, Waterworld. Yeah. I'm going like... I remember like the Waterworld thing. Like, nope, that's a different movie. Yeah. That that music is too good for that movie. The same way that in the airplane scene when they all have to shoot the bazooka rockets with the flare guns. Which, yeah, that was kind of cool. That would never fucking work in real life. But I know it. No. None none of that matters. This is awesome. This is such a fun scene. That was a cool scene. Yeah. Oh, what's really funny is uh, Laura Linney does it. She takes out a flare gun. She shoots down like the anti-aircraft rocket, hits it dead on, and. It's not even like it looks like, you know, there's an arc to it and it hits the arc of the rocket in a way that just looks. Wow, that's really hard. You know, like that's incredible that she did that. Well, then Ernie Hudson just kind of sidles up to her. He's like, hey, can I try? And then yeah. she does it, too. Well, because the, well, the idea is supposed to be that these are heat seeking and they're they're going towards the flares. Right. Uh, right. Okay, but the effect guess, is illustrated mm-hmm. in a weird way. There's a lot of things that blow up in midair in this movie that when they blow up, there's no momentum. They just kind of like you'll see a plane flying at like what, like 200 miles an hour because that's minimum, right? And then mm-hmm. it gets hit by a rocket, and then it just kind of like stops in midair and explodes. Yeah. <laughs> like the shrapnel doesn't have any inertia. It doesn't move. Like, you know, I'm, I know I'm being very nitpicky, but this is 1995. Like Jurassic Park had come out. Terminator 2, uh, three Die Hard movies were out by this point. We forgive things like that in an Indiana Jones movie yeah. because it's supposed to kind of feel like an older thing. And the tone of this movie, as Neil mentioned earlier, is so all over the place that it's it's really hard to like forgive that kind of thing because it's clearly aspiring to be like a big budget blockbuster and it throws back in weird ways. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it is trying to be like a, a rollicking pulp adventure like Indiana Jones. Totally, That's why yeah. they got Frank Marshall directing it. Yeah. Uh, with a little bit of the creature feature, you know, Stan Winston stuff. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it's just, it doesn't have, you know, the sense of like heart that, uh, or like, you know, excitement that Spielberg would give it. And it doesn't really have the, like the right tone of schlock yeah. to justify putting, you know, Bruce Campbell in it and like, <laughs> it's a hot mess. It's weird. Cause it yeah. opens, it opens as a very PG 13 film. And then like out of nowhere, it like, it just, there's like a bunch of F bombs dropped at one point. Yeah. <laughs> like, like half an hour in it just suddenly, is this R rated? I, 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 I don't know. Like I can't rem- It just suddenly felt like an R rated movie in two or three key scenes. Uh, I, we're looking this up now in real time. Sorry to make you wait. Did anyone find what what it was rated? Uh, I'm not looking. <laughs> oh, I thought Ryan was. Hold on, let me look it up. Sorry. I wish we had like some Jeopardy music. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell. Uh, I can tell you the story about some kids. Oh, it is PG-13. It is PG-13. Yeah. It's like so. Uh, oh, oh, what about oh, go go for it, Neil? Well, yeah, I do. I do have a story uh, from uh, my wife Ming. Oh yeah. Um, when she was, I guess, like. 11 or 12 or something and this movie was in theaters she took her friend to see it and um it's you know it's kind of a scary movie her friend went home and had nightmares about the movie as you would yeah Kids and do uh, that. yeah you know ming wasn't bothered but you know it's you know they're young um the friend's mother calls ming's house ming picks up she's a little girl and this woman like is cussing and screaming at you know at ming a child like a, a yeah. child yeah just like you you gave my child nightmares you took her to see a, a horror movie and this movie it, like it's scary but it's, it's not a pg-13 a horror. movie about apes that get killed with lasers <laughs> come on <laughs> like i i've heard stories like this before from friends about like showing someone batman returns and then yep. a parent walking in the room be like, this is a, pornogra- a pornographic movie. This is smut. This is an S&M because it looks like it. Let's be honest. Um, I got yelled at for showing someone uh, Evil Dead 2, but we were mm-hmm. like 14 or something. Like, Here's the correct <laughs> way to do this, whether it was the 90s, 2000s or today. I'd like to speak to your mother or father. Bingo. Exactly. You know, an adult. Be a parent. <laughs> yeah. Don't scream at a kid like they had ultimate <laughs> agency. Um. So... Okay, we put it off long enough. This movie is kind of fun, but the two ingredients that stand well above the rest of this movie, <laughs> uh, forget about the diamonds, <laughs> forget about the, the Stan Winston killer monkeys and the and all that. Uh, holy crap, Tim Curry and Ernie Hudson showed up uh, for a different movie. And um, yeah. the first half an hour of this movie just drags. The first half an hour is you're like, really? This is $50 million. This is supposed to compete with Jurassic Park. And then Tim Curry starts talking. And he's kind of in the background of the movie, right? Tim, Curry, You forget Tim Curry's there, right? Like, doesn't he have like 10 he's lines? He's just an audience member. But the audience, he's a famous actor. Like, oh, I wonder what role he'll end up playing. And he barely speaks, right? He's like barely in the movie. Like, I don't know. Like, Neil, did you, did you kind of forget Tim Curry was in the movie by the ending? No, I remember Tim Curry was in. Well, yeah, I mean... He he's not the lead villain in the movie. I forgot who, I forgot like you know the twists of his character. So yeah. as soon as you see him, I thought like, oh, he's the villain. He's gonna be secretly evil. 
Yeah. Because it starts with him like watching Amy on stage talk. And then he looks down at like some piece of jewelry with an eye and he smiles like this big evil smile. <laughs> well, he's Tim Curry. It's, he can't help but look evil when he smiles. That's his He does. Thing. In the end, it turns out he's just kind of like, uh, he's, he's, you know, he wants some, some diamonds and to get rich, but he really is. He's just like chasing an old legend. Yeah. He's a fucking hack. He tried it before <laughs> yeah. and everyone died. Except there's like, yeah, they ran out of food and water and then another guy got shot and he's, you know, he claims the suicide, yeah. which no one believes. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's actually one moment here because Tim Curry is such a, a Disney villain level, like ridiculous character here. Like he's like hovering or shaking in his tent because he's scared of all the scary stuff and he needs to be pushed out the airplane because he's a coward. Oh, that's yeah. a great line. And then he nearly drops an N-bomb at Ernie Hudson. He comes like, you fucking... is like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, excuse me? Yeah. I, I, I heard the letter M. Not me too, me too, me too. So I wonder if they changed it in post. Cause I like, hope, yeah. yeah. Cause, well, I, I can't tell because what would M have been? Would he have called him like a monster There's a, a few monkey things. like like i'm trying to think of what it could have been but i wonder if they changed it because that you know dropping like an n-bomb would have been like i could see tim curry just not even wanting to like say the first letter you know yeah yeah i could see that tim curry but, uh, let's talk I about think, his accent a little bit. <laughs> yeah i think his prep work for this was uh it, it, he's, so you're from romania right what does that sound like this is what it sounds like to me like did you consult a vocal coach no <laughs> uh, yeah because in my experience people's takeaway from this when you ask them like oh i saw that movie 20 years ago and i remember the the, the mean apes uh lasers and like yeah. toys and tim curry talked like this person that is doesn't exist he's he talks insane. like a villain in a video game like <laughs> he's a bond villain yeah. He's totally a James Bond villain. Herkimer Homolka. Just say that. Herkimer Homolka. Yeah. He probably came up with an accent that made that name impossible to say. <laughs> well, you know what? It's it's kind of close. I know you've... I really hope you've seen the, the clip of him uh, saying, uh, I'm going to escape <laughs> to the one place that capitalism has not corrupted. Space! Space. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's having fun. Um, he's having fun. He's got, he gets to do his... His communist voice, and he's, yeah. I hope that if the director's like Mr. Curry, can you come here for a minute? Uh, listen, uh, are you sure that's the way you want to deliver these lines? Yes, like there's no discussion. <laughs> I'm this saving is, your film. This is what you're getting. So he's like he's unused, he's underused, I think. Sure, um, yeah. And I think uh, Laura Linney's character, Karen Ross. Uh, oh, one, okay. So one thing I do appreciate about the movie, and you, you just uh, reminded me, Ryan. So Tim Curry doesn't become the uh, obvious villain. Uh, and I assumed Dylan Walsh and Laura Linney were going to like get romantically involved by the end of the movie. You just assume it, right? Yeah. Like handsome guy, pretty, you know, beautiful woman. They're, 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 they're the same age. They're going to, they're going to hook up. Right. And they don't really. Right. It's yeah, that's true. They, they do the little like fight at, you know, when they first meet, you know, they, there's some tension, but that's it. Like they, they just that's don't it. like each other. Like they, they don't really like, they don't like become romantically involved by the end. Um, no, no his it's heart actually... belongs to Amy. What's that? His heart belongs to Amy. Yep. And her heart belongs to Bruce Campbell's corpse, which shows up at the end, and it looks real bad, so you don't get a good look. <laughs> it looks so bad. Can I tell you, in my memory, like he was like all like mangled and like a skull. It looks know? like a dummy from a haunted house. It probably yeah. is. It... And it's like how... 
you couldn't get like Bruce Campbell to like lay on the ground looking dead. Like there's how many dummies of Bruce Campbell corpses must exist in some warehouse? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Raimi's got them all. Raimi's like, oh, you want one? $80,000 a day. <laughs> but Bruce Campbell will do it. He'll lie there. He'll do anything. Yeah. So, all right. Ernie Hudson. Okay. So he shows up like half an hour into the movie. Captain Monroe Kelly. Yes. Uh, as unused as Tim Curry is, they, Ernie Hudson, man, every second he's in this movie, he just elevates it. He, he bring, I, I think, think he brings his whole movie up a letter grade. He makes a good impression. I, I had to look up his height because he just towers above everyone. He's, he's really tall. He's, six, he's really big, yeah. He is, but I don't remember like feeling that in like the Ghostbusters. You well, know? The, the thing with Ghostbusters is they're all over six feet tall. Yeah, People forget that. It, yeah. Like Bill Murray's like 6'3 or something. But he, Why? Uh, what? <laughs> why <laughs> <laughs> well who did that to him so monroe kelly who's like the closest thing to like a swashbuckling indiana jones type in this movie um every line of his is gold i mean like every line like every line he just relishes he has this great accent um he's seen it all he's done it all it's an inspired performance like he clearly thought through this character um he's not just character acting uh I mean, there's a lot of that. Like, he's somewhere in the middle of, like, like a Jurassic Park character and what Tim Curry's doing, you know? I, I feel like, yeah, I think he's going a little bit more for, like, the Quint role. Oh, yeah. Oh, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or Muldoon in Jurassic Park. He's just too cool for this. You you want to, you you really want him to make it, I would argue, more than uh, Dylan Walsh's character. He's just so yeah. much, again, Dylan Walsh, just to me, re-watching uh, this made me think of just a really poor man's version of Jeff Bridges from the 70s King Kong. Like, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the science. And by science, I mean, I'm going to introduce an ape back to the Congo and have no way of observing it from this point on because this plot, these plot holes you can drive a truck through. There's well, a- the, first time, the first time Amy sees another gorilla, she's wearing like this, you know, RoboCop gizmo on her arm and face and stuff. And you, you clearly have a moment where it's just like, they're going to kill her. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they try for a moment of the, oh, it's sad. She doesn't belong in either the gorilla world or the world of man. And like, listen, that that's not what this movie's about. This We're isn't going to play. Keep, this is... Just keep moving. <laughs> What's Okay, so, oh my God. So like, there's like a, like a scene early on when you first really get to meet Monroe. And they're in the back of a car, like a, like, like a big truck, leaving an airport. And it's like when they really give Ernie like a ton of lines like to just to kind of like sell who is this guy why is he the expert and he kind of sees through everybody and he has like every line he gives is like delivered in a way that they could put it in the trailer exactly yep <laughs> um but i kind of loved that like he he kind of figures out real quick like okay this person has an ulterior motive they have a ton of money like they're clearly not giving me money to deliver a damn monkey to the congo uh, and he says something to dylan walsh's character and i'm paraphrasing but he says you're like, you know, rest easy. You're getting better treatment than you deserve, or you have a better guide than you deserve. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hudson in this movie, um, right around when he showed up was when it dawned to me there are too many characters in this movie. And they probably could have consolidated Laura Linney and Dylan Walsh, maybe. Like, I don't know. Like, there's just one too many, because if there was more elbow room for Tim Curry shenanigans, right? Uh, like, if Tim Curry got the same amount of screen time as Ernie Hudson... And we got a little less of like the Amy stuff or whatever, which I guess just has to be there. Uh, I don't know. I think I think like this, this this posse of characters would have worked a lot better. 
Because once Ernie Hudson shows up, the chemistry of the movie works way better, I think. Yeah, I think that they have Tim Curry in... Uh, again, he's almost certainly in the book, so they just have to include another guy. They yeah. can't just cu- maybe cutting him out would just they thought it would be too thin a plot to rework. They would be wrong. Uh, is that his being like the deceptive speaks with accent like a like a Russian Bond villain uh, humanizes Laura Linney, who's here for a telecommunications giant that is lying to the good guys. <laughs> It okay. makes her seem like the lesser of two. You forget that, yeah. like, oh, yeah, you may work for Joe Don Baker and the bad guys, but you're good at heart, the ex-CIA agent looking for lasers to kill monkeys. <laughs> so fucking ridiculous. I, okay, what was her, why, why did she leave the, the CIA? It was just like, oh, they were, they were too mean. Of, yeah, they were <laughs> bastards. Yeah, they were bastards. Okay, so I found the Monroe line I love. So they're in the back of the car driving, and uh, Monroe looks over to Peter Elliott uh, and Peter Elliott's like freaking out because he's starting to realize that like something's up here. Like, well, like this doesn't make sense to me. Ernie like, Hudson's character literally just hijacked the truck. He just stole the truck at gunpoint right? after a bomb went off that was supposed to kill the president. Like this is we should. <laughs> this is there's no reason to be here on a science mission. We should fucking leave. Um. So at one point, uh, uh, Monroe says, uh, "This is cover for something. I don't know, and she won't tell you." But the kind of money her company's throwing around, they don't spend that in any gorilla. Relax. You're in better hands than you should be. And just like every, like, like you can't like read these lines and not hear him saying it. Like he has like this cadence, yeah. this cadence to every line and this perfect accent and just this swagger to him. Um, I was so glad he didn't get killed. Like yeah. I was waiting for, have either of you seen Leviathan? No. Yes. That movie sucks. <laughs> and that movie sucks for a few reasons. It's an underwater aliens ripoff, and there's like five of them by now. Oh, but this was like the first one. <laughs> like underwater. They all came out in 1989. That's when the cameras were developed, basically. Yeah. And it Ernie Hudson's in it. So is uh, Peter Weller and Daniel Stern and a few other good people. But Ernie Hudson, like, is like woefully underused in that movie. And uh, spoilers, he like, they kill him in like the last, like, literally like 60 seconds of the movie like oh, yeah you, yeah like, like oh by the way we got to kill Ernie Hudson like it was like so it's, it's like so needless and it's a really poorly it's a bad action scene like I don't know so like in this movie I was just like expecting to have that happen again I was expecting for like I don't know like Tim Curry to get a laser and kill Ernie Hudson or something and it didn't happen like Monroe gets to just be like this badass the whole movie and I don't know. He did nothing but elevate the material for me. And no, actually, yeah, Tim Curry gets that treatment. You know, he's too greedy. He literally fills his arms up with diamonds and then yeah. gets smashed. Yeah. Well, he, he walks up to Monroe and says, uh, uh, you've got to get me out of here. And Monroe says, take a number. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I mean, obviously, like, Ernie Hudson's like a childhood hero of mine. I'm always excited to see him pop up in movies. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I genuinely think he, uh, I think he is the best part of the movie. Is it fair to say? I'm going to get, yes, he, as, as far as the actors go, as much as Tim Curry's cartoonishness is fun, yeah. Ernie Hudson's the coolest fucking guy in this movie. What, what do you think, Neil? What's the best part of the movie? Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd give it to Ernie. Um, it's definitely not Amy or, or the hippos. <laughs> uh, brief shout out to Joe Pentoliano and his, uh, yes. his cipher Uncredited. from the Matrix. Uncredited. Yeah. I, he didn't like how this movie came out. I, I, it doesn't say why in in imdb's trivia why he's uncredited they, he's only in the movie for one scene he's driving two them scenes. around two scenes they because he disappears and then he pops up like five minutes later and like hey it's that guy again like he they needed yeah. to 
He's, he's, he's Eddie. Yeah. yeah, right. Just one, two, just like uh, uh, Dylan Walsh's Dr. Peter Elliot, the character's Peter dumb, like, coward friend who exists <laughs> only to try to make him look cooler. Yep. Um, played by Grant Heslov, named just Richard. He's so fucking lame, he doesn't even get a last name. He, Richard's like, I don't like jungles or snakes or animals. Like, why, do you, why are you a primatologist? Yeah, what why do you f- do this? <laughs> I was like, oh, we're going to bring her to, to back to the jungle. Like, hey, here's a thought, Richard. Don't go. <laughs> what, is there anything left to say about Congo? Like, I mean, like, it's... it's it uh, is- that- <laughs> The scene where they find a survivor of the initial uh, guerrilla attack, <laughs> and you know he's please continue. He's new. being tended to, or there's a ritual going on by a. They made up a tribe. For he's this comatose. Movie. Yeah, yeah, and um, they find him, and he sees Amy, and he screams and dies, <laughs> which that, might work in a book. Yeah, I guess it's really funny. Poor little he's Amy really... is just like, hey, and. <laughs> scares him to death <laughs> the guy, to death yes <laughs> this movie reminds me of anaconda at a, at a few points um mm-hmm. because the score is similar um i i like anaconda more uh i kind of conflated uh tim curry and uh john voight uh, sometimes An- i forget which movie has which anaconda is better congo yeah. would have done better to steer itself to feel more like anaconda like, anaconda has a lot of similarities um but uh yeah this was just part of that whole like mid 90s monster movie thing <laughs> it was like I, I i put it i guess jurassic park it's it's on the twister jurassic park spectrum yes of like natural disasters and just you know meddling with animals yeah i guess it's if you want to get like theoretical about it it's like a post james bond thing the ussr has dissolved so who's the enemy now well it's the earth itself <laughs> it's apes yeah it's <laughs> apes. what's worse than a russian Fucking ape. Apes. <laughs> uh, I mean, any more uh, parting thoughts, Ryan, about Congo? I mean, Congo, well, this was your me... baby. You really wanted to do a Congo episode, and I, I hope we're giving it to you. Well, no, the, the, <laughs> this is good because it's 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 just from that weird moment post-Jurassic Park of The Relic and The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. And yeah, the, the movie we discussed a little bit before this, that was a, a much more serious film. Yeah. Uh, the Ghost in the Darkness mm-hmm. with... Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer, who was also in Moreau, that practical effects sometimes, um, yeah, burgeoning CGI. There, there, there a certain brand of creature feature that we're never gonna see again because the level of production value you would either like do it right or it would be straight up Sci-Fi Channel original crap. <laughs> uh, my last thoughts of the. Again, it is not a compare. This recording is not a compare and contrast to Jurassic Park, but for God's sake, movies like The Island of Doctor Moreau and a an R-rated horror film about a killer lion starring co-starring Michael Douglas. These are movies that don't have action figure lines. Yeah. Uh, in my research of this movie, going back in time, mm-hmm. I found a lot of really weird footage and gameplay from the Sega Saturn game. Oh, yeah. With live, you know... What, it's, what's, like, it's like a multimedia game. Yep. It, it, it felt like uh. the original original Resident Evil with the you know the actual film scenes of the actors and these hokey things. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I found that ridiculous volcano taco commercial from Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, there's a very, very awkward Taco Bell product placement early in this movie. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. Also, there's a volcano in this movie that goes a, off. That's why there's a volcano. Unrelated. Sp- they're not there because the volcano's about to go off. They're just 
the volcano happens to go off while they're having their adventure. It's, it's crazy. like video game logic. Like, listen, you just can't wait around too long. Like, no matter how many apes you do or do not laser kill, <laughs> the place is going to blow. And also well, means that no one will believe you. No one will believe your story because oh, it's by all the blown way, up. Oh, by the way, Laura Linney builds a, uh, <laughs> a laser gun to kill the killer apes at the end. She puts one of the diamonds from the from Solomon's lost mine into this laser gun, and she disintegrates a bunch of it's the what, gorillas. It's what everyone remembers from this fucking movie. It's such it's a great. startling. I love seeing Laura Linney of all people wield a laser. It's like such a startling image. Like just these like, it's like it looks like they're on fucking Mars. Like all the <laughs> <Yeah>. red, right? <laughs> Like, in the say. lost, yeah, the mines, and she has this, you know, witty one-liner of put them on the endangered species list before she re-diamonds her laser. That, <laughs> yeah, but all right, my last. There's a couple of things here, but a takeaway I want to get for those of you thinking about rewatching this movie and refreshing your memory for whatever reason. Don't leave it as a memory. Yeah. It's scarier. Uh, I'm sure it's more fun. It's more exciting. Maybe it's a movie you used to watch when you like would stay home from sick uh, in elementary school or however old you were when this film came out. If you weren't alive when this film came out, I don't even know what to tell you. But actually, that's not true. I know exactly what to tell you. Save, Save yourself a lot of time. Go on YouTube. YouTube. And there's a 33 second commercial in which a man and a woman are in the jungle with Amy. It is not Dylan Walsh's character, Dr. Peter Elliott. It is not Dr. Karen Ross, portrayed by Laura Linney. It's just two people and their kid, because there's a kid here now. Because, again, this movie's for Taco Bell, Happy Meals, and toys you can buy at Toys R Us. Yeah. In which um, the man and the woman, because they couldn't get the real actors, are trying to do sign language to figure out from Amy what Amy wants. <sighs> and the kid figures out it's a Pepsi. And it's a 33-second oh Pepsi commercial. Because well, Pepsi owns Taco Bell. Yeah, or, yeah. And ter- so, and then he, yeah, Amy cracks open the Pepsi. And uh, how does it tag? Yeah, nothing else is a Pepsi. <laughs> it's clear. Do you hear Amy's, like, robot voice? Uh, yeah, maybe. Again, I'm not going to play it right <laughs> now. Like, to re- I don't know. But they're trying to sign with Amy, but only the kid's like, oh, what, what, is, what does the gorilla want? Like, it's Pepsi. Give the th- <laughs> the, the, this does not encapsulate. The wh- Why would a movie like this be doing tie-ins for toys well, and Pepsi? $50 million in PG-13. That's Bingo. The for- that's the formula. Bingo. Let's, yeah. How about this? So I, instead of watching oh. Congo, what's like another 90s monster movie or creature feature or disaster film you would recommend? Like, I think we should all pick one. I'll go with a movie I recently reviewed on a friend's podcast, The VHS Bandits. We watched Deep Rising, Stephen Summers' film, it's wonderful. It's a throwback swashbuckling movie like Congo, but it succeeds more than it fails. Um, it does. It, it's it's got like a sea monster thing going on with it, which is fun. It's got some dodgy CG, but it's it's well worth it. I think it's a lot of fun. Made by the people that would go on to make the Mummy. Um, ah. Yeah, so I would recommend Deep yeah, Rising. I've never seen that one actually. I got the Blu-ray if you want to borrow it. Oh, cool. Uh, I don't really have a, I, I kind of feel like this kind of movie wasn't that good by the mid nineties. Yeah. It kind of had lost its luster. I think it worked better. Well, and I think the last good. time it worked really great. It was Jurassic park. Sure. And, um, I don't know, just like that kind of like genre horror was a little bit more potent in, you know, the eighties. 
So nothing. And, what, no, my yeah, money's on the island yeah. of the 1996, the island of Doctor Moreau. Val Kilmer yeah, one, of course. Yeah, him yeah. and Marlon. This feels like a yeah. fever dream. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Uh, Professor Lupin just can't wait to get the fuck off this island. <laughs> He's never comfortable for a minute. Yeah. Uh, there, you see, you'd never have Marlon Brando all caked up in white makeup, cracking a Pepsi. Like this is not the kind of movie this was. <laughs> Alfred did it with a Diet Coke, right? Uh, yeah, for the Tim did. Burton Batman movie. But those the are supposed yeah. to. Be, yeah. Those yeah, are, but it's Batman. <laughs> and Alfred I would have, drink. I Diet have a Coke. couple um, stray notes for the movie though that we didn't really touch on. Sure. One is. Uh, in uh in Amy's like habitat, they have Doom running. They have a game of Doom. Yeah, I liked that. Yep. <laughs> um, the Jimmy Buffett plays a pilot. What? What? I did not recognize him. That's cool. I didn't catch him. He's not a memorable looking person. But yeah, one of the pilots. It, yeah. And uh, the last one is, according to IMDb, director Frank Marshall's nickname is Doctor Fantasy. <laughs> That's thank you for sharing that. That's that, great. <laughs> aren't nicknames supposed to have like less syllables than your regular? <laughs> Doctor Fantasy is like a friggin. <laughs> I don't know enough about him as as an individual, as in like his personal life, but I can just Im- imagine a grown man very angry, stating, "Do you know who you're talking to? I'm Doctor Fantasy. Get the hell off my!" I directed. Set. I directed alive. <laughs> Not a fantasy. Hey, hey, this is Dr. Fantasy you're talking to. I'm done. Yeah, that's a radio DJ. (laughs) Yeah, that's like Wolfman Jack would say. Before we move past the wonderful world of Congo, (laughs) did anyone else, uh, I messaged a group yesterday about a hypothetical, if you were to come up with a sequel to Congo, a film that merits no sequel, what would it be and why? Okay, so if you make a sequel to Congo, what does it have to have? Does it have to have more killer apes or is it just another Africa adventure movie? I got it. Um, <laughs> Joe Don Baker comes back. Yes. He, uh, it, inspired by the, you know, he's inspired by his failure and he decides I'm going to go get those apes and I'm going to bring them back to America and I'm going to use park. these, these <laughs> d- dangerous gorillas um, to, I don't know. Build satellites for free. <laughs> yeah, or just, I don't know, he's going to use them for nefarious purposes, sort of like the how the military wanted the dinosaurs in Jurassic World. Yep. Which you could have seen coming from years away. Like, they're going to make another Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> oh, is it going to be about, like, weaponizing the dinosaurs? Yep. No. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you get way more Joe Don Baker in this sequel. He's the lead villain and his army of gorillas. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't know. He's attacking, you know, it's bring, bring it to the home front. You know, does Amy, is Amy in the movie? Does she show up like at the end of act two and like save them or no Amy? Amy's back for some reason. Yeah. It's never explained. She's out of gorilla retirement. <laughs> is Amy she like can't, a mom? It just didn't work. It didn't work out in the con. It didn't work out with the silverback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, is there a dream sequence with Bruce Campbell? Like maybe oh. the movie's about Laura Linney falling in love with Dylan Walsh and like she's conflicted. So she has to have a dream early on where Bruce Campbell returns and says it's okay. No, no. What you do is you get him back playing a different role. Because <laughs> who gives a shit? He's like a, sea, he's like a sea captain. <laughs> yeah, it's Neil, like Spider-Man. He's always a different guy. Yeah. yeah, I would watch this film. Thank and, you. And we're just going, I mean, Tim Curry, does he have like a twin brother? 
Just yeah. no Tim Curry? Oh, no, he survived. He survived? <laughs> and now he's got like a wooden leg? <laughs> they crush his head in the movie, but yeah, he survived. He's got a wooden leg and he's got a diamond in his eye. He's but, mi- yeah, he, no, he's just, oh, yeah, he's- um, That's it, that's it, that's it. He's, he's, he's I've got, got it. John Silver. I've yeah. got it. And a diamond. He's got, so he's got an eye patch for the movie. Uh, and then at one key moment- when you realize he really he's like with he's he's with the bad guys he's one of the bad guys he pulls up the eye patch and he has a diamond in the eye that's yes, and Laura Linney like takes it out and uses it to make another laser gun and Ernie Hudson's just in it not scene. in it what yeah they, they'd screw, <laughs> doesn't come back they'd he's screw that it. up they'd screw it up yeah <laughs> God that I, that would that thank would, you for sharing Neil that would really this piss is... me off <laughs> this hypothetical to, that's how it goes with sequels yeah they never get the well, yeah, yeah. They'd model after Jurassic Park and be like, you don't need all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Kevin, any thoughts on money doesn't matter, reality doesn't matter, your hypothetical Oh, sequel. I have to come up with my own sequel? If, you, if, if I, not, I, I have an idea to just... Neil, yours is well-grounded in reality. Yeah, Neil's, Neil's would happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I would I would like to see. I'll give you some time to yeah. gather your thoughts. Yeah. And you'll see what happened. I'm going in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. So... It's a few years later, uh, and Dylan Walsh is still portraying Dr. Peter Elliott. They could not afford Laura Liddy. <laughs> she is too good for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ernie Hudson died off screen, uh, and there's like a candle. We do a slow pan into a picture, a framed picture of just him by himself, not like him like at a bar hanging out with them as friends together. Just him to establish Ernie Hudson's still in this, but we can't afford him. Yeah. Uh, in a very lost world uh, uh, scenario, Joe Don Baker on his deathbed repents and asks Dr. Peter Elliott to go back to the Congo, bring Amy out of gorilla retirement because there's a site B. There's another mine of King Solomon. <laughs> yeah. And only Amy can find the di- she's a diamond seeking gorilla. And it's like it's it's basically weekend at Bernie's too, except only she knows how to get to the other diamonds. Yeah. When they get there, they find. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, much like Neil's idea, Tim Curry has survived because of the healing property of the diamonds. <laughs> oh, there's magic in this sequence. Right? <laughs> much much like the way that Gary Oldman's character became very spider-like in Lost in Space, mm-hmm. and by the future is you know more machine now than man, twisted and evil. Yes, Tim Curry has diamonds for eyes and a diamond constructed body and his catchphrase now in his accent is diamonds are forever <laughs> and he is the he has declared himself the new king solomon over the eight people i can't follow this i was you have, you have a perfect one and i was trying to like yes and neils and like give them like layups and like ask the big questions the point it doesn't really matter how they get out of the mine it doesn't matter where they go from here the point is that there's a big twist before the end where dylan walsh uses satellite phone to video chat with joe don baker only for him for him to pull off his human mask to reveal he too is one of the killer apes and he was behind it all along uh is there a smart ape there's a smart ape now yes oh like one of the killer apes got the technology from amy and he says like bad stuff yeah yes (laughs) he just swears but like, Amy, bad gorilla. <laughs> so I, uh, um, okay. The best I could cook up, 
you two are going to do laps around this, uh, is Jodan Baker's satellite company um, uh, sees the potential of not they're like, hey, why do we got to keep going to the Congo to get these diamonds? Let's grow our own diamonds. So they try to crossbreed animals from the Congo with diamond DNA because it's a bad movie. <laughs> yep, uh, that, that's good. So like- it, would, it would have come out in 1997, late 97. It's Christmas 1997. This movie comes out, but it takes place in 2002. And it's it's uh, predominantly in... I don't know where, where where was the satellite company based out of New York, L.A., D.C. Where it was it? Warm. I want to say LA, California. California. Albuquerque. It's Albuquerque. <laughs> it's in some major metropolitan area. And at one point, um, the animals, the crossbred animals, break out of their zoo, right? Uh, and they all have like laser uh, appendages of some sorts that were there that were that are a result of trying to crossbreed them with diamond DNA. So you have like these giant hippos running downtown, knocking over cars, and the cops show up, and then the hippos open their mouths, and a fucking laser comes out the back <laughs> of its throat. And there's only one man who can stop it, and it's Ernie Hudson. And uh, Ernie Hudson has some line about like, oh, you can take uh, the man out of the Congo, but you can't take the Congo out of the man, as, as you know. Uh, and uh, there's no Dylan, what's his name in the movie? Because who cares? Um, Amy gets referenced at one point as the key, um, but when they finally get back to Amy, uh, it turns out she died years ago giving birth because they write out every female character, <laughs> including the ape, for the second one, so they can write in new, sexier uh, female characters. Like there's like uh, a babe in the it's Halle Berry. Halle Berry's the babe of the movie. Uh, mm. she's from the Congo, but she only had like a week to prepare. So her accent's really bad. <laughs> um, there's a benevolent girl ape that isn't Amy, but it's just like the world. Learn sign language before Amy died. So the experiment was a success. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was born with language. She, she inherited she, it. Yeah. She was <laughs> through her genes. <laughs> Because this movie really leans into like DNA and genes and evolution because they're like, we got to put way more Jurassic Park in this one. But um, this this ape is way sexier. Uh, <laughs> and it's like clearly just somebody in a suit. Uh, <laughs> um, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a scene in the movie where uh, they uh, dress up the ape in human clothes to like fool some security <laughs> guards so they can get the like, key card. Like, honey, I blew up the kids. Yeah, and every other bad movie made around then. Ooh, can, can the new Amy have like a ragtag group of action figures the kids can buy. I yes. mean, other characters. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and there has to be CG in the movie, so there's really bad CG. Um, Ernie Hudson um, gets like one cool action scene, and then he gets like taken out. Like he doesn't die, but he's rendered useless the rest of the movie. So uh, Halle Berry, the sexy Amy, uh, and I don't know, Joe, what's his name from Cypher from the Matrix, uh, <laughs> is there too? Oh yeah, because he's from LA, yeah. even though he had a New York accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's my uh, sequel to Congo. <laughs> so that's three sequels to Congo, all in one podcast. I like that. Yeah, yeah. We all brought Joe Don Baker back. I, I didn't bring back Tim Curry because you two both did that. Way Ryan's Tim Curry is un- <laughs> you can't beat diamonds. <laughs> Yeah, that's his plan, man. <laughs> He's gonna live forever. All right, I've I been... am King Solomon. <laughs> like we should get on to the questions, but I I do have a question for you. Yeah, do you think this is anyone's favorite movie? I thought about that watching it. Right, I'm sh- mm, no. There's no way you could watch this movie and like it more than its contemporaries. I don't think you could watch this movie. I, I think it'd be hard to make a case that this is better than like Twister or like Anaconda. 
or even that Mighty Joe Young remake in the 90s. Like, I think it'd be really hard to really... I mean, I, I mean, it's fun. It's a fun movie to look through the bulletin points. I'm like, oh, yeah, Tim Curry. Oh, yeah, Lasers. Oh, yeah, Killer Monkeys. Oh, yeah, Ernie Hudson. I want my diamonds. Yeah, yeah. I want my diamonds. <laughs> yeah. Bruce but Campbell. No, yeah, it's just rotten. How is it that? I mean, looking through all that, the movie's only like 100 in... It's 140 minutes. Uh, an hour and 40 minutes. You're right, right? an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, And it's got all those good elements to it. How is it not better, right? How is it not a better movie? Um, it's not complete crap. It's just m- way more mediocre than it has any right to be. Um, with that being said, we're going to take a quick transition, a quick break, and come back with questions from patrons. Let's hope I hit the right button. It'll be real great. I did. Every wow, episode. It feels of- so good to hear that like when it happens. I know. It's diegetic. Every episode of Guaranteed Audio, we take questions from patrons over at guaranteedvideo.com. Uh, and this week's episode, we have quite a few. Ryan, why don't you read the questions? Do you have the questions in front of you? Questions. Just a moment. <laughs> yes, I do. Should I put the reverb effect on <clears throat> Ryan? I feel like we're never going to get to use it. Want to go? D- Neil, you're, you get to decide. No. <laughs> okay, Ryan, questions. Go for it. All right. Sally, Queen of the Dead, wrote... My name is Sally, and I've been a fan of y'all for over 10 years. Obviously. I think what I admire most about you all is your ability to have successful careers while living in New England, as opposed to L.A. or New York. I'm a musician, as well as, a term that we use here colloquially, a masshole. (laughs) Do you have any advice for promoting yourself as an artist, slash getting work in this part of the country? Wishing you health in these weird times. Wishing you good health too, Sally. Thank you, Sally. Um, yeah, I think 20 years ago, you really had to be in one of those two major cities to make it as an entertainer or as an artist. Uh, but thanks to this thing called the internet, it's no longer the case. Uh, there were still some people kind of holding on to that old guard of like being presently in the room. Uh, Neil, I know I know your sister, uh, when she did, I forget what the show was. It was before DuckTales. Was it Gravity, uh, Gravity Falls? Falls? Gravity Falls. And she was yeah. still able to like telecommute and like do her work remotely and like attend meetings and such through hangouts and Skype and all that, right? Yeah, she was ahead of the curve on that one. Yeah, she really was. And now with COVID, I read a, I read an article the other day. I, I want to say it was maybe the New York Times, but it, the, the whole thesis was uh, our society has been thrust twenty years into the future because of COVID nineteen. Because now everyone has to live with the fact that no, we don't need to commute. We don't need to be in the same office. Uh, telecommunications are way better than a lot of people at the top rung of these companies are willing to admit. Uh, and I think that really helps with being an entertainer and a creator. I mean, the, the easy answer is, yeah, uh, digital distribution, democratization of tool sets really helps. Exactly. Uh, and uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt there, Kevin. No, I could I go wanna, forever. <clears throat> I want to also include the fact of, although productions of the future are going to look different live performances are going to be very different and we don't know when our air quote normal will continue but i do know uh i've yet to meet a person who is not uh here here in america and the rest of the western world i can paint it with broad strokes i've yet to meet a person who in these difficult times of social distancing and hunker and bunker who is not consuming a lot more audio and video content Mm -hmm. demand for content is going to continue to be very very high higher than i would predict it has been in the past yeah i'd add one more thing to the to answer sally's question that is um for me personally i've never been afraid to uh use my skill sets 
uh, use my discipline in uh, workspaces that aren't entertainment firsthand. Like I've never been afraid to do corporate video work. I've never been afraid to, you know, work on like commercials and things like that. And I, I try really hard to always have at least one or two projects I'm working on concurrently because everything I do, I learn a bit more on and I can add it to my resume and I can exploit it for our projects. Like even like I bought this new mixer and some new headphones for, you know, guaranteed audio to, you know, this is the first episode we've used them on, but I, I'm learning a lot about, you know, live EQing, like live mixing. Like I can use this now to, you know, I, I, could, I can market this as a skill for like, say, like recording a band or doing live shows on Instagram and things like that. Uh, and what I'm getting at there is um, you don't, the idea of like chasing down, like I'm going to be a director in Hollywood. I'm going to be a musician on the radio. Hollywood and the radio don't matter the way they used to, right? I, I've been going through a lot of negotiating for my documentary, not for resale, like getting money secured. Like I, I can't get into it yet, um, but it looks like, you know, things work down and we have a buyer, you know, like, like we've been talking for a few months and every now and then I look at the amount of money I'm getting to get my movie distributed through this major public channel versus how much money I've made through just selling it a la carte through like the likes of Vimeo and iTunes and Amazon and all that. And it's pretty comparable, you know, uh, I don't think you have to chase being the cream of the crop of these. It, it is an old standard. Like the idea of being in L.A. to be a filmmaker is sort of an old standard. And obviously you can still make the most money doing that these days, right? Uh, you just have to ask yourself what you consider it, it means to be a major success. Like how big do you have to get before you think, oh, I've made it. It's probably just, oh, I just want to make a living. I just want to be able to pay for a house or whatever. You can do that if you market yourself to different industries that aren't just entertainment. I hope that made sense. What about you, yeah, Neil? That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I have. I don't have a lot of advice. I haven't taken a ton of freelance work, and a lot of my success has been, I think, pretty luck based. Um, but just in terms of practicing different disciplines and stuff, yeah, I, I guess I would recommend trying to learn multiple skills at once, um, because if you do find success or a foothold with one thing, you know, that can subsidize other work that you're that you're doing that might not make money or might not pay off immediately. Um, and that's probably the best advice I can give. Cause I, uh, I, I don't have the, uh, the industrial skills or experience that, that Kevin has had, I think, uh, with his filmmaking. How about you, Ryan? Like what, like, let's see, like why, why, what kept you in Massachusetts? Like, did you ever want to go to LA or New York? Honestly? No, no, yeah. I never thought like, Oh, you have to be, I've known far too many people who've gone to, Less in New York, because it's cost prohibitive, in spite of the fact that I don't know anyone moving to New York these days. Uh, I've known far too many people who've moved to Los Angeles and been like, yeah, this is not how it works. You don't yeah. just walk down the street, pick up a piece of paper off a flyer, and get a job. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> you walk yeah. by like a telephone pole, and there's like one of those pieces of papers with the phone number yeah. fringe at the bottom. Like, want to be in a Steven Spielberg movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think that is a valid career path. I don't want to, I don't really oh, sure. want to. Yeah, yeah. Say I know a lot I'm of people. I know, it. Yeah. I've known people who have found success by, by moving to where the industry is. Yeah. Um, like even if it's like someplace like Texas or, or somewhere where something specific's being filmed, yeah. Um, and trying to get onto that crew, and just learning as much as you can about the industry before coming to LA. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you might not necessarily become you know like a name director that way, but you might become a production assistant or sure. just any any number of 
you know, roles in the industry. Uh, yeah, so, and we're also lucky in New England that we're, Boston is, it's a major city. Uh, and New is. York's only like a four-hour drive away if I, if I need to get there for something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's Sadly, okay, just, we did not. <laughs> I was going to say, sadly, uh, our dreams of Massachusetts becoming a major film hub did not pan out. Hollywood no. East, man, any day now. Uh, let's <laughs> go on to the second question. That was just the first one. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to go, Ryan? Sure. From our patron, Knucklehead MC Spazitron. <laughs> Excellent. Regarding Congo, dot, dot, dot. Didn't you guys use a clip from that movie in the Beyond Believability film? We did not. We used footage from Jurassic Park and Carnosaur. Correct. Carnosaur. Which is not Congo. I'm sure Frank Marshall would be very bummed out <laughs> to hear you thought <laughs> Carnosaur was Congo. Mr. McSpazitron, good question, but the answer is no. Man, Beyond Believability came out great. I'm really proud of that one. Yeah, that's like 10 movies in one. Yeah, which is a bad decision. <laughs> uh what's the next right, one I'll, I'll read this one uh, sure. summer geist do y'all have any advice for my wife and i who are both staying home creatives stay at home creatives trying and failing to maintain some kind of schedule slash regularity yeah that's like the big thing right um and i've definitely fallen off that horse and gotten back on it a few times the last two months just i mean i mean neil with you you have a life form that demands your presence every morning. Yeah, the the up the upside of uh, having a two year old is it's kind of a built in alarm clock. It gives your life some structure. Yeah, uh, but it also eats up a, a lot of time. And by the time your kid goes to sleep, you uh, you know you're too tired to do much. <laughs> yeah, it's like a built in REM cycle stimulator. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So maybe like a dog is a good compromise honest to god uh i i've been hanging out with this dog miles my sister's dog and he actually has given me like like i take him for two walks a day um he'll sometimes wake me up around like 7 a.m to make sure i feed him and hang out with him uh he really likes having me around he's helped um i don't know ryan do you have an answer cooked up yet all my all my advice here is going to sound like common sense but i'll just say it uh adhere to self-discipline is discipline okay there's discipline that other people inflict on you which is usually pain uh discipline is is coming from yourself set boundaries and stick to them make your bed every day mm. take a shower every day brush your teeth every day brush your teeth every day yeah uh, i've got my fitbit on kevin's got one too yeah hit your steps every day going yeah. well i can do a little under this a little under that no and when we're operating remotely through Zoom, Skype, Google Hangouts, doesn't matter. A lot of people feel fatigue. They feel like they're tired and exhausted from sitting in front of a screen all day. Mm-hmm. And when you don't disconnect work from home because they're existing in the same space, yeah. you can get into a bad cycle. Set alarms on your phone, turn screens off. Whether you're watching something for fun or doing something for work, set limits of this in set healthy boundaries of when you're doing work and not maybe don't use the screen for entertainment after work if you're telecommuting exactly yeah yeah if that's the case uh with the summer and say you say you haven't posted a facebook in a while say you haven't posted instagram say you haven't worked on whatever you're writing just try yeah set yourself an alarm on your phone and try to pick it up 
if you do 10 minutes, at least you started. Yeah. I think also, too, what's happening to a lot of people right now is um, because they're staying at home so much, they they have to kind of chase, like, fun dopamine hits, dopamine hits, like, li- li- like little itty-bitty just sparks every day. Like, oh, I kind of need today to matter. What's going to separate today from yesterday? And usually it's like, you know, like what they eat. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people are eating more, obviously, because like that's like the fun thing to do. And um, I know personally I caught myself having way too much caffeine about a month ago. I was having a lot of Diet Coke, um, a lot of different types of Diet Coke, every flavor of Diet Coke. So I don't know. Maybe that's like one of the things to look into is just um, try to um, watch out for your caffeine intake after 3 p.m. Even 3 p.m. Like just that maybe that's the last bit of caffeine you have. I know that that helped me out. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, I'll take it from here. Uh, Michelle Monahan wrote, Kevin, why don't you return my texts anymore? Next question. Olivia D. wrote, have you ever had anyone send you weird edits of things you've made? I once posted a YouTube video of myself reading the poem Snake by D.H. Lawrence. And months later, got a message from someone who used the audio in a pseudo artsy Vimeo video. Use the audio in a pseudo artsy Vimeo video of boa constrictors slithering over women in lingerie. Huh. That's a weird thing to come Possession across. is nine tenths of the law, Olivia D. <laughs> and I'm not a copyright lawyer. However, have I seen my own work, our collective work, be reworked yeah. and repurposed in the form of the internet? YouTube poops, among others? Yes. Most certainly. Yeah, it's always fun. Uh, almost, yeah. almost always fun. Um, the earliest example I can think of that really blew me away was when we made this video about 12 years ago called uh, Knock Knock. And it was just the three of us telling knock knock jokes in a room. And that was it. And it went over very well. And someone actually took the video and remade it uh, shot to uh, shot by shot like it, it timed out perfectly like they just took the audio from our video and remade it with legos and it looks oh yeah and ryan was a qui-gon Jin uh lego <laughs> minifig uh right i neil you had to have been harry potter uh and oh, i was thanks. a guy in a red t-shirt with a pizza on it <laughs> um that's but, the same video i was thinking of too that i love was, that one that was so fun um i think olivia just wanted to tell us about the snakes that's cool when you find stuff of yours your audio your video your content used in a way that you don't like you'd be surprised how effective it is to message them directly personal message dm them whether it's on instagram or if it's on youtube or if it's on facebook or you just email them going this is my content please take it down and you'd the vast majority of times the other person does Someone, I'm trying to think of other YouTube poops I've seen of us. Like, I saw a fun YouTube poop of Mr. Basement. That was fun. Someone took all of Ernest Roulette and edited it down into, like, 25 minutes of all the best stuff, (laughs) which must have taken a long time because that's, like, 12 hours of content or something like that, maybe longer. Um, And then, uh, I mean, there's there's some stuff that I – there's some stuff that's actually just straight up helpful. It's not even that weird. People will – Take uh, someone took the Creed, a movie I directed in 2013, and created, I believe it was a, a, like a Russian subtitles, I want to say. And they asked if it would be okay if they uploaded the movie to their YouTube channel with the subtitles. And I was like, oh, no, go for it. That's that's great. That that means more people can watch the movie. Um, what about you, Neil? Have you ever had any, like, the, anything really weird or out there? There's probably some. I, I've seen, I think I've seen, oh, there's the Sonic. Oh, that's fan art. That's fan art. But have you ever seen any of your work really like weirded up? <laughs> I, I'm sure I have. Um, 
quite a few times over the years. Nothing stands out to me. That that Lego one was the first thing that came to mind. Just because yeah. it was it's like pure. That was like just a different time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Before Lego, the company had really gotten its grip on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> uh we got how many more? We got one more? Uh, one more question. One. I'll read this one. Cool. Robert Peterson asks Speaking of Congo, I remember growing up, uh, I had a licensed gorilla costume from the film. It was terrible, and the mask had that one disgusting rubber smell. Can either of you remember either movie tie-in or just bad store-bought costumes that you had growing up? Ryan and I have discussed that exact smell before. Yes. Good <laughs> question, smell. Mr. Peterson. Yeah. Ryan, you must have one. Well, as a number one, as a person who used to work at Spirit Halloween, I can assure you that that smell, that rubber mask smell, takes a long time to wash off when you're going through a lot of masks all day yeah. long. Yeah. Uh, I, I think back to a story from a long time ago I heard from a guy who had a werewolf costume of the short-lived Coors Light werewolf, because the beer Coors Light is known as the Silver Bullet. Oh, Okay, now it makes sense. I'm sitting there going, why the hell would Coors like? Okay, so for a little <laughs> while they had a a little werewolf as a marketing thing, and I believe somewhere in the days of Joe Camel of like, hey, you have a little cartoon wolf, you know, like for a child. You're selling beer. So they went, yeah, and for a while they were in fact oh my selling. God, this thing looks like it belongs on Sesame Street. Yeah, again, Coors and Coors Light, the Silver Bullet is beer. Um, here in uh. North of me, south of Kevin and Neil, was a little place in Plymouth, right across from Cordish Park, known as the Family Closet, Closet with a K, that nice. unfortunately went out of business just about a year ago now, May, into J May, June of 2019. Things were simpler then, and they had a lot of old costumes, things that were knockoffs of intellectual properties, things that were the better quality ones were rentals. Uh, holiday-themed ones, yeah. every holiday, Santa for one time, a lot of Pilgrim and racist Native American for Thanksgiving. I mean, it is Plymouth, so. Uh, yeah, that place had a, a lot of really interesting intellectual properties and a very, very distinct smell. Yeah. I have a good one. It is the smell. Um, <laughs> uh, I wasn't really growing up, but at some point in my 20s, I think, or teens, I was still living at home, I think, and I found some website. It was like a costume wholesaler, and I was like, I wonder what the cheapest item that you can find on this website is. <laughs> so I was just looking like, what are the costumes that are like a dollar? <laughs> can I guess? Sure. Uh, would it be like a Warriors of Virtue costume? No, no, no. But it it was... Um, these, I, I bought them because they looked bad in every product photo. Yes. These were like old stock um, John Goodman, Fred Flintstone masks. <laughs> and they had just kind of flattened out over time. So and this I, is not Fred Flintstone, the, car the character. This is no. John Goodman portraying Fred Flintstone. This is Street Fighter, the movie, the game. The live action yeah. film with Kyle and, McLaughlin and yeah. Let me see if I get Fred Flintstone mask. You'll find multiple. Jesus Christ. I looked up this Coors Light werewolf. Yep. Man, it's so for kids. And there's there's one of the ads, which contradicts what I just said, is him hanging out with Elvira. And Elvira is like clawing at his chest and she's looking at the camera 
and uh, it's a it's a print ad, and above her head, above her big hair, it says, "I love a man with a hairy chest." <laughs> Buy this cool. beer, kids. <laughs> No, but the the Fred Flintstone one, uh, I'll show it to you guys on the screen. But it's you know, it's hideous. It looks like a Mike Myers, you know. It looks like if Hank Hill got run over. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. It's Leatherface esque. <laughs> so I bought like twelve of them. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Because I just did shit like that back then, and I think I bought one Barney mask. <laughs> well, I think that's it for the questions this week. This episode, I shouldn't say week because <laughs> we're going to do this in seven more days. Hopefully, we can get this episode out the door quicker than our previous episodes. Because I hope we can too. I think it doesn't require any real editing, folks. This has been a fun episode. We got to talk about Congo for a long time, and uh, it took a lot of effort for me to not text Neil and Ryan how much I loved Ernie Hudson in this movie. I'm glad we got to talk about Congo. Uh, we'll be back soon with more guaranteed audio. Do either of you have parting words for our listeners? Well, as always, stay home, stay safe, listen to healthcare professionals like Dr. Fauci, and when in doubt, look up Pepsi commercials with Amy, the sign language talking gorilla. <laughs> yes. Don't watch Congo. <laughs>